podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Little Ericsson, yeah. Ah, turn up. Flip this money, then we stack it up. Welcome back to episode 11 of this next podcast. I currently have some sort of throat malaria disease, swine flu, I don't even know where it is. Today I've got two special guests I've been looking to get on for a long period of time, but they both seem to be super, super busy. We have David, we have Kalechi. What's good, lads? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Not too bad, man. How's we it? are not too bad, apart from sounding like death. But <laughs> yeah, apologies we're, we're... For, this pod, for this pod, we're on, uh, we're on Skype as well, so... Yeah, I was, I was literally just about to say oh, yeah. that we are putting our faith in technology. We're, we're going to be phased out by robots, so let's see what technology can do for us today. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this one, we, us three, we have a variety of things we want to talk about across the course of time, but today we decided to go with the, the housing market. So where do we even start with this gigantic mess? Um <laughs> Okay, let's start with what the actual current issue is. Uh, mm. I know, David, you've, you've you've wrote quite a bit about this. Yeah, you're more than you're more than well clued up, Sarah. The floor is yours to start oh. with what the actual issue is as of today. I mean, I think firstly we have to go back to probably um, the 1970s, early 80s. Ba- the, the baby boom generation. Well, even well, you could go back to the baby boomers, but I'm thinking more kind of microscopic here, less less general. And mm-hmm. it was the start of when the securitization of mortgages began. Um, so um, Louis Ranieri and all the guys at Solomon Brothers, if anyone's watched, uh, or sorry, not watched, read Liar's Poker, um, great book by Michael Lewis. You know about the Solomon, Solomon Brothers Bank. Yeah, yeah. And basically they securitized loads of loans, repackaged them, put them all together. Um, you've probably heard of repackaging and um, everything from 2008 from the, from the financial crisis. Um, and basically it just allowed for things that shouldn't really be traded on a free market and for greed and profit um, to be traded. Um, so banks and institutions could bet on the housing market essentially. Um, okay, hold on. Um, let me so basically in, in layman's terms, obviously most of our listeners don't know what um, securitized means, so give them a quick, a quick um, for dummies definition of what, of what that means. Right, so if you securitize something, it just basically allows you to make an asset out of it that can be traded um, either over the counter, so basically by, by phone or by, um, by computer, um, or via an exchange. So a stock, for example, is a security. Um, a bond is, is is could be classed as a, a, a security. security. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Go ahead, carry on. Sorry. Pretty much yeah, any on. asset. Um, and obviously, back in the seventies, eighties, you had Margaret Thatcher, you had Ronald Reagan, um, and all of their deregulation, removal of red tape, um, which freed up the markets. Basically, it allowed um, it allowed more to go on, and less bureaucracy, less government intervention. Um, mm. directly with the markets to occur. What that obviously gives rise to is a greater move towards um, the, the, the services sector, especially financial services, um, and also you know, more activity going on within the markets, but also greater bets happening. So if we look now to 2007, 2008, with 
Lehman Brothers going under, um, certain other banks going under, um, and, you know, Northern Rock. AIG even, AIG even going under as well, right? No, 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 they got bailed out. Well, yeah, but I mean, they're still they're kind of nationalised, right? They're yeah, being, uh, taken in by the government. Yeah, so I mean, AIG had to had to be bailed out because they actually um, insured all of the planes that were in the air. So yeah. if they went under, then they, you know, all the planes the planes wouldn't be insured. And uh, also, apparently, apparently, I heard that they also um, provided pensions. They were the one providing pensions for like teachers and. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like a lot of people in the public services, yeah. Massive, it was, it was, massive yeah. pension and insurance fund as well. Um, mm. So then, yeah, we've we've kind of gone through a timeline, a big, big jump, obviously, from from the seventies to eighties, and uh, now the, the jump to the mid two thousands. Um, but obviously, the financial crisis happened. They had specific products, um, which basically no one knew what was in them. If you've seen uh, the Big Short, you probably have some idea. But it was yeah, basically, basically, like you have like literally thousands of people's um home debt packaged into one thing and bouncing between banks between banks across the world. So when obviously when the crash happened and it was um and people couldn't um people couldn't pay their their loans off, nobody even knew who owned what debts. That's why in America you've got loads of abandoned houses. For those who listen to the likes of Migos and stuff, that's where the term bandos come from. All the abandoned houses. That were left over from the from the 2007 slash eight crash. Yeah, and and going back on that actually, in uh, Detroit now there's places where you can buy a full house for a dollar. Um, purely it's insane. Because, purely because there's there's no demand in these areas for houses, and um, yeah. you know no one knows what to do with them. No one wants to move into an area where you've got five crack houses and you know <laughs> in one street. Proximity. Yeah. Exactly. So. The demand's not there, so they're just there, owned by the by the um, the city. But no one wants to go there, and no one wants to redevelop it because it's not it's not um, viable. There's no jobs. There's no security there, isn't it? Exactly. So. Exactly. Detroit used to be a massive car manufacturing base, and I mean, there's still some there, but nothing like it was. Um, and it's just not had the re-energization <coughs> and redevelopment that it should have had. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. If we now look more London-centric to do with the housing market specifically, because I think London is a totally different breed to any other city, probably mm. probably in Europe. Um, you've got a couple of cities in North America. You've got Tokyo, Singapore, that are kind of on the same um, paradigm as, as having the same price ho- uh, house price increase. But really, London is a different breed, and there's... A couple of reasons as to why it's, it's, it's kind of increased at such a rate. Now, um, the government controls investment in basically one one main way, and that's via monetary policy. If you've got mm. um, if you've got high interest rates, people are more likely to to save. Um, mm. If you've got low interest rates, more people are more likely to invest. To invest, yeah. Mm. The, the reason why because mortgages are cheaper. Um, the the basically it's less risky in in uh, in a risk-free term. So um, if you've got a bigger interest rate, you're more likely to put into savings rather than buy mm. stocks and shares, for for example, which are more risky. Um, 
And so people are pumping their money into stocks and shares, houses, um, and other assets rather than bank accounts. Now, mm. the government also, because of these low interest rates, had to introduce something known as quantitative easing. And quantitative pumping easing... Money, basically pumping money into the... Printing money, basically. That's it. They, they buy up... The mechanism is that they buy up bonds from different institutions that puts money into the system. The government then owns these bonds, so their balance sheet increases. And as a caveat of this, this is why the national debt has increased by so much. It's not because of any ruthless, crazy spending. It's purely because of quantitative easing. And the Bank of England actually owns this debt. It's not like some. It's not like Japan or China owns this debt. It's the Bank of England. Let's get that straight. Um, and all of this cheap money that's now come into the economy. Um, this then allows just for pure reinvestment and where are people going to go to house cheap money if it's not in a bank account into houses, yeah. into property oh, into commercial so. property um, yeah, and, the thing, and the thing is also with, sorry to cut you off um, the rate of return you're going to get on a house is going to be considerably greater than the rate of return you'll get in a savers account or, or a current account no most you definitely can get, you can get maybe 2 to 5% on a savers account or or, or bonds account of why in London house prices go from eight to early teens in terms of um, rate of return, so it's really a no-brainer into where you are, where you'll park your your um, wads of cash. But Carol, that's it. And alongside this, we're not talking about here. Um, we're not really speaking about you know the small landlord. There are loads of small landlords that have popped up because of safety. What we're talking about here are landlords such as pension funds, um, property developers loads of different large entities that are buying up property and then letting it out okay yeah so what they're what they're doing is they're using pure cash to do this some of them might use some debt financing and stuff like that but really they're using pure cash now because inflation is so low and house prices in london are increasing so quickly they're basically the value of their money isn't degrading due to inflation because inflation is so low so they're getting this massive house price increase in London and property price increase, but inflation's not inf- affecting it. Whereas if you have a mortgage over 30, 35 years, and over that time you get an average rate of inflation of about 2%, say, you've also got that plus interest on the mortgage to pay, um, yeah. which basically wipes out year on year, if you average it out, the, 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 the house price increase. Yeah. So it doesn't actually equal a good investment at the end of the day. Um, but that's a very, very brief, brief, brief overview as to why house prices have um, increased in London. And I mean, obviously, you've got the added factor that foreign entities such as the Chinese, Russians, um, who have capital controls in their own countries, are also using London as London property as a, a bank account, basically. Um, it's no one's going to, you know, look at it because they can say, oh, look, here's your brick and mortar. That's all you've got. You're not hiding anything. You've bought this house. So they use, mm. they use foreign, they use a uh, kind of middlemen to buy the house for them. Um, and then they just keep it there, sell up when they've got a big house price increase and make a nice bit of cash. So that's a lot. It's a lot to take in, man. Sorry, I went a bit quick. It's just so, shout me if you want to go through anything. I mean, um, in regards to um, 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 housing, because I've I've listened to a couple of podcasts as well, 
Um, I'm, I'm kind of a layman in regards to this. Uh, I have a bit of understanding, but still, still getting the hang around around this. Um, I was also wondering because I've heard about uh, um, some economists that were saying that the reason why house prices, especially in London, um, um, are going up, they said that there's like some housing planning aspect. So he he related to the same thing is also applying to the Anglo, other Anglo-Saxon countries, so Australia. See, a lot of house prices. It's like a boom housing price, um, house housing boom in Australia as well. There's a housing uh, um, um, boom in obviously in the US and some parts of the US, let's say in New York and so on and so forth. And it seems that there's like um, a correlation between Anglo-Saxon countries. He said on one underpinning thing is a lot of the, especially the um, countries like New Zealand as well. On top of that, a lot of these countries that are that have post-colonial ties. Old colonial ties to the UK, they have the same planning structure in that in a way they they um, 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 uh, uh, develop new buildings, build new houses. Because the, with London, you can always argue, okay, there's not much demand. There's a lot. There's higher demand, but there's not a, a lot of um, 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 supply to to manage that demand. Whereas in a place like Australia, you think to yourself, why would a place like Australia? Still have that that um, that um, um, increasing in price in prices that in, in regards to houses when they got huge amount of potential for supply they got so much space so not that not, not many people live in Australia for one as well so why is it also having the same effect the housing boom also having the same effect in Australia as it is in London as well which is and in places like New Zealand as well which is really probably just, probably just the supply side um, issues. So yeah. in London, it's very difficult to obtain a planning permission yeah. areas, environmental laws, as well as yeah. preservation of land and all that type of, all that type of yeah. nonsense. So once you, um, on my previous post, I talked about demand and supply. So they kind of, they kind of have inverse relationships on most yeah. goods and services. So if the demand is high, price is high. So the supply is low because the good or service is more rare in terms of its availability, the price increases. So mm. with, with, with housing, if, if it's harder, for let's say we us we have our own real estate company because left hand is left hand real estate so for left hand real estate <laughs> they don't like uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't like our names they're not giving us permission to build to build blocks of flats in liverpool street yeah. if it happens across the whole if if they stop if they stop us um, building building blocks of flats we aren't able to add to the total supply of flats um, mm-hmm. in london and if the demand keeps on going up, for example, as I said on my on two pubs ago, that the growth in terms of the population via immigration, the last five years has been one million people. So more and more people yeah. come to the country, but the supply of housing to fit these people is not matching that. There's always going to be a surplus of demand, which is going to increase the price range. So that's, yeah. that's what you're seeing happen in areas like um, Australia, which is quite strange because Australia has a plethora of land. But also, yeah. in the UK, we have plenty plenty of land our populations are quite dense in certain areas the problem mm. is human beings know where the where the where the wages are the highest wages the highest wages are around london Reading, slough that's that kind of area yeah. southeast yeah the other area go on Dave. The, i think the other key thing as well is that um when i was you know i was referring to foreign investors previously 
Um, these foreign investors that haven't so much been affected by um, the 2008 crash and low interest rates are also mm. looking at the global um, areas to see where they can get cheaper money from and where the best return is. So if you've got <laughs> a higher interest rate in China, for example, um, and it's more expensive to invest in China, then you're going to look to the UK. Oh, yeah, that explains where you've that got, explains. Oh, sorry, sorry. Continue, sorry, sorry, Dave. Yeah, sorry. So where you've got a what a zero point zero point two five zero point five percent zero point two five percent. I can't even remember now. Um, percent interest rate, and you've got cheap money yeah. there. Borrowing's cheap, um, and you know it's the same in Australia. Relatively, I think it's one point seven five percent in Australia. US is point seven five percent. There was even a point in the US where they had negative rates. Uh, on, yeah, on their 10-year ten uh, ten yield, um, which is their government 10-year ten ten year bond, they had negative negative yield for, for a little bit. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's a totally, totally different story, and I wouldn't want to get yeah. into that because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, guess, I guess a bit, does, uh, does that, just a bit complex. Does, does that explain, in some ways, I don't want to divert too much away from London, but does that explain the reason why French and German investors, or German banks, so to speak, were investing so much loans and sending out so much loans to the likes of Greece, like more peripheral nations in Europe? Because they knew that these countries had low... Even that low, they had because they were being managed by the ECBs with that low interest rates, and they were not really, they didn't really have any, they don't, don't really have high costs there as well. And there's not much risk in regards to if you compare it to, let's say, a China, right? So there's, there's, could that explain why these banks go to these places like, like a Greece and explains what happened with them in regards to, um, they, they had a bit of a, a mortgage housing boom as well in a sense during the mid 2000s as well. I mean, I'd say it's, uh, the banks uh, speculating on on absolute shite is more to do with them wanting to make a quick return. To be fair, so they yeah. buy they buy some junk. They buy some junk Greek bonds. They know that mm. Greece, you know, their default risk, which is you know, if they go if they totally go bankrupt, um, it's quite high. But they're willing to take that risk because they're, idiot. they're idiots. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, okay. Um, so I think that's it's got it's more it's more simple than that. Honestly, these banks are, are pretty simple. All they look to do is just turn a quick profit, make money. Um, yeah. and that's it. And, and that's what you, and that's what you see um, in places like San Fran, uh, New York, um, London, where is really the institutions that are really prop up the markets. Um, as I said on um, what, what I can't remember what pod it was. I think it might have been my seventh podcast. It's more um, it's more um, beneficial for bank to invest in purchasing mortgages than it is to, um, let's say, give a loan to Latin um, property company because obviously the rate of um, the rate of return is a lot higher on a mortgage than it is for um, certain, um, certain loans. But uh, moving on to the problem, so let's talk about it from like a, an average person point of view because that's the whole podca- um, point of this podcast. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, um, we, the, we, let's, uh, so... From like a young person, it, really and truly, we're kind of screwed up, aren't we? <laughs> 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 like, I, know, I know it sounds harsh, but the game's a game. It's, 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 in, it's the reality. Um, it's, in London, London it's, we're doomed. Sure. In, in London, we're, de- we're, we're definitely doomed. Um, but I, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, 
if you even look at um, if you even look at intra UK statistics, right? London is 75% on average more expensive than the rest of the UK. Um, but at the same time, we've still got stagnating wages, the same as the UK, except our wages are just stagnating. Are just stagnating higher, exactly. So, um, you know, on a high average, yeah. The whole, the whole thing is pretty, pretty shit because um, if you look at if you look at living costs, they're only gonna go up. Um, yeah. Because if profit property keeps going up the way it is, even if we do have a market crash, which we should do hopefully, because otherwise it would just become unbearable, um, then you know it will literally de- leave people destitute, yeah. and it's you know it's, it's all fun and games saying and laughing, but in ten fifteen years time when we we're all trying to have families and and yeah. and do whatever or what, sooner I don't know whenever, um, yeah. it will become an issue. Um, because I do know the security and the reasoning behind wanting to own your own home or at least have a mortgage on a home, but we won't be able to do it. Just to expect, uh, speaking of the rise of living costs, um, Dave mentioned that um, our wages are stagnating. I think um, is at the lowest point in the last twenty years, I believe, in terms of real wages, and that's basically our wages adjusted for inflation. But when we look at living costs, um, there's like a thirteen percent rise in food costs. A 28% rise in electricity, 38 in gas, and and more. Um, what's it called? Um, specific to what we'll talk about now. 11% rise in rents in London is 25%, which is just incredible, and 8% mm. rise in mortgage interest rates. So, it's more expensive for us to rent, which is always is naturally going to be your biggest expenditure as a human being or household yeah. or accommodation. So if your rents are going up by 25% across like a five-year, five, ten-year period, that is 25% less of your disposable income that you do have to save or reinvest. So mm-hmm. it's very, very difficult for us to get on that ladder. So I see quite a lot of people um, on social media kind of turn up their noses to the idea of renting. Everybody's obviously, everybody's like, yeah, I need to be a homeowner, which is obviously a good thing. Um, more often than not, it's good to have your own security in that, okay, you know this home belongs to you and you've got an asset in your books. But let's explore um, renting versus versus homeowners. So I think, Dave, I think, I'm pretty sure you've um, written about this before, haven't you? Yeah, no, I did, yeah, yeah. I've got, mm-hmm. um, I've got a pretty strong opinion about this, but I'll let Kalechi firstly comment. If you've got anything to say, mate. Um, I'm just really, um, I really am quite... Um, um, Bewildered, so to speak, um, by the fact of how, by by the whole as the whole, how the banks have been. I don't want to become too controversial here, but how the how housing has begun has gone to such a a, a a dire position right now. Like as a just, I'm doing my masters at the moment, so I'm still trying to obviously get myself together, and obviously I'm planning for. In the next ten fifteen years, I could have uh, I always or I will always have like a mindset where I would want to own a home. Mm. Um, and obviously, all the jobs are in London. Mm. Most of the jobs in UK is in London since it's a service-based economy. Mm-hmm. So you're in this predicament where you're thinking in the future: How am I going to own a home um, in a place where it's quite close to impossible to own a home at this moment in time? And at the same time, this is where all the jobs are. How mm-hmm. have the banks, I want to ask maybe, how have the banks in some way 
made the situation so so dire because I, I mean I, I, one of my professors um she told me or told the whole class um the reason why um um, um obviously the prices of houses are always going up and they will never not stop going up down to the obviously as you said as we i think we already mentioned earlier in the podcast the easy access to credit and in london we all know that there is someone that is willing to use that credit someone that's willing to pay for that credit that they're using for these homes and that's why it keeps on going up to an extent um and it just leaves the dire straits for everyone that is either local in london which is understandable someone outside will say externally will say oh it's understandable that this is going to be the case london is probably the heart of the world in a sense it's where mm. everyone comes to come as a tourist people come here to, to to study people come here for work but then it becomes a pressure cooker in a sense situation where there's such a the bubble is so so uh it's 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 really really dire when you look at it in the next 15 years how are we going to get into the popularity ladder you know i mean i think um firstly you have to look at what your initial motivation for now i don't want to say purchasing a house because if you take out a mortgage you're not purchasing a house you're taking out no. a loan you're taking out yeah. a loan and using that uh, property as collateral yeah um, you're not buying anything until you finish that final payment you don't own it um so if you're looking at a house as an investment um, and you're taking out a mortgage with it, don't, because inflation over the length of time of your, of your mortgage will erode that investment value away, mm. uh, especially with variable interest rate mortgages and mm. or even fixed rate. The banks will always win, basically, on long-term mm, 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 mm. Um Well, I say always win, you see 2008 happening. Um, <laughs> but they've won still, they've gotten bigger, they've yeah. gotten bigger, and they get, you know, it's just To be like, fair, to be fair, um, Slowly but surely, all the, the STA, all these people started to kind of shrink the bank's uh, balance sheet, try to capitalize, um, capitalize them a bit more. But obviously, obviously Trump's coming with the big sledgehammer and he's going to destroy them. No, apparently, I saw, I, saw, I saw somewhere where they've, tried, um, they've gone, they've gone um, they're doing the reverse of trying to repeal the Dodd-Frank uh, regulation. They've gone opposite of trying to repeal it. So, so they're trying to add to it. No, no, yeah, they're trying to add to it. Apparently, um, I heard that and saw it in the news article like a couple of weeks ago. The, so the, the whole, <laughs> I don't know, the I don't whole, know about this. The whole thing with the regulations that they've brought in now, this is this is still related to the housing sector, but obviously how the the banks and whoever can go under if, if everyone if everyone fails on their if everyone fails on their payments. Um, still mm. related, but basically the capital requirements that they brought in. Um, the capital requirements they brought in basically haven't caused any increase in their actual capital. So they're still in the same position as before because they've just changed how certain assets are, uh, are kind of risk-weighted or, or um, risk-assessed. Yeah, so nothing's actually changed. Let's get that straight. Um, they always find a way around these things. Yeah, but that was really... But yeah, yeah, going back to what you were talking about with um, in terms of the renting versus buying. Yeah. Um, if you look at the initial outlay as well for buying a house, you've got to pay stamp duty. You've got to pay for renovations, possibly. You've got to pay for maintenance over the time of your house. You've got to pay for all of these other things. 
Um, whereas if you if you're renting, not only do you have the freedom to pretty much move whenever you want, um, if you go out of a job, you can downsize quicker into something cheaper. Um, and you also um, you're, you're also not paying uh, um, a premium on interest to the banks, which is basically a fuck you to them. <laughs> so, um, so in terms of the, if if somebody wants to get um, a house on in terms of in for as an actual asset, so what do what do you reckon is the best the best what's called the methodology to do so? And just probably, I know it's probably going to be the most expensive one, but just just like let, let um, the listeners them know. I have no idea because I don't own a house, um, <laughs> and I don't think I really want to unless I'm a cash buyer. Um, yeah, because I, I was going to say, uh, I think the people who are really winning are the ones who are buying in cash. Oh, absolutely, because then not only can you, not only can you then take out a loan against it and let it, let it out or do whatever you want with it, um, you know, you're well if you do actually let it out straight away, you're getting a hundred percent profit, less on, on obviously like any maintenance costs or anything like that. Um, but you can also release equity and get another loan out to finance something else another business you know so you don't have massive liabilities um, if you pay cash and obviously you you take that appreciation that natural appreciation of the, the house markets going up hopefully right, unless there's a crash obviously um, which you can capitalize on in a year two year three years you know whereas if you've got a mortgage you've got to wait the whole way out of your mortgage to to really benefit and get get actual cash unless you want to you know go and buy another house which by that time I think other houses have gone up in price and so you're basically in the same position oh. um, I want to ask what do you think um, I think we have to discuss this aspect as well what do you think in some ways can be done but trying to solve how the um, in some ways how the banks have such such a monopoly over the the, uh, the aspect of housing, what do we? Uh, what needs to be done in sense in a political sense? Do you think, or uh, uh, there has to be more regulation to this 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 aspect to the housing market, or what do you let's, think? What do you guys think? Let, let's not um, let's not blame the banks here. Um, it's not it's not the banks. I mean, the banks are just a part yeah. of, of yeah, a part a, of the problem. Yeah, yeah. There, there, it's not the banks that have caused the. The, the the housing market to go up basically okay. it's low interest rates that yeah. fuel that fuel the demand if yeah. you're fuel, if you're fueling the demand for investing and one country mm. has high, higher interest rates as I said where investing is more expensive they're going to look mm. for a country with lower interest rates to invest in and all that cheap credit as I said with, with quantitative easing yeah. um, hasn't helped um, and basically what you need to see is a, a rising global interest rates and to back to normal, um, to make borrowing and investing more expensive, just mm. to deter foreign rich foreign buyers and those with loads and loads of capital. You know, if you look at it, Qatar and something like 20% of London. Do you know what I mean? They own 95% of the shard. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, they didn't. Um, didn't um, they own the Canary Wharf, Wharf Group, so the real estate company that owns yeah. like. Um, like, uh, what I was going to say was, I find, when you're talking about the cash, um, cash purchases, I was thinking how funny it is that if I was to go to buy a house in cash in London, um, by the time I um, 
left the property, probably MI5 will come after me and I'll start asking where the hell I got the money from. But, um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but these times, the people from Nigeria can come and use the money they spent <laughs> the government by four properties and not in Hillgate, straight out yeah, past, yeah. and nobody says nothing. Yeah. And, the, and the problem with the, I was, I was going to talk about the, the foreign national ones a bit more. I think my biggest gripe with them is that not on I dislike them or anything. They're just smart and they're just using their money to game the game. But from a, from a Londoner and a Brit, British perspective, is the fact that these people are buying these houses, taking them off the market, and some of them aren't even putting them up for rent. Yeah, they're just so, keeping them as bank accounts. Yeah, yeah they're, they're literally bank accounts. These houses are yeah. literally empty. Uh, yeah. One of my friends, she works in real estate, and she was telling me about how her company was working on this, these, um, a block of flats. I think it was Liverpool Street was the area. She said literally at 80% of the flats were already gone before it's even hit the market. Mm. Like, Spanish wow. investors bought a whole floor. Russian investors bought a whole floor. Mm-hmm. People from the United Arab Emirates have a whole floor. Like, so... And then you got, then you get uh, proportions that go to social housing. So for those are where the government obviously subsidised housing for some of the people in the community. So mm. where you take all these um, deductions away, the actual amount remaining from let's say a hundred to two hundred um, block of flats could be minimal. So it's not really adding to the what you call them to the housing um, to the supply side of the market. And no, at what and, and at what cost? What what the cost for these um foreign nationals or foreign entities coming to use our property as bank accounts. There isn't really any cost. There's no cost to them in relative terms, isn't it? So like, there seems to be little talk about taxing them, little talk, um, not enough talk about um, a tax on land either. Yeah. So, no, what I'm gentlemen is, um, in terms of solutions to this issue, my solutions I wanted was to, is it like a freeway solution? A relaxation on um, the, on the um, planning permission laws. Mm. I try to run back on all these green people and the environmental bull, bull crap. Like <laughs> I know they I know they want a safer, greener land, but I'm pretty sure they also want to be able to live. So mm. need to run that back. Uh, my second one is a tax on purchases from foreign nationals, because I feel that we need to kind of slow down their investment because it's not really adding much utility to the real economy. Yes. That's, a very, that's a very Brexit yeah. type of uh, policy. Very thing. much. Very yeah. much. I know. 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 But what do you fellas think? I'll start with you, David. Well, um, firstly, this is why I feel that because of this um, this foreign investment into property, this is why I feel that um, just saying building more houses is quite lazy because yeah. it's not going to stop the influx of the foreign investment. What stops they're gonna, the they're gonna more. They're gonna more. Exactly. What stops the influx of foreign investment is stopping the demand for investment in the country, and that's by raising interest rates. Um, yeah. But um, secondly, actually, Vancouver is one city that I've looked at and they introduced a tax on um, people with second homes that aren't living there. And um, they noticed that property prices fell by something like 30 percent. So if you take if you take a 15 percent tax and uh, sorry, 30 percent decrease divided by 15, you get a a ratio of two. So if you then want to, you know, decrease 
property prices by whatever, you just know that you have to raise it by um, uh, kind of double the, the, the amount. Um, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned the land value tax as well, and that's something that's pretty against my um, kind of capitalist yeah, same, thinking. same. <laughs> the game's a game, man. Like, we should do something. Well, go on. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, it, is a, it is a good idea because, firstly, in terms, it goes with planning as well. If you want to build, yeah. if you want to build like a shopping centre, say that someone wants to build a Westfield in, I don't know, Brixton, let's say that, for example. Um, but really, housing is more of an optimal, um, optimal development on that land. Then the, the builder of the development will be charged a specific tax based on how how far away it deviates from that optimum development by the council. Mm. So that increases their costs, and they're probably going to look elsewhere to build um, for a better return. So that's that's basically how a land value tax works um, in very very basic terms. Um, and I think it could it could work, but again, it depends on. Um, Quantitative easing, isn't it? And it depends on inflation, isn't it? Not not inflation so much, but that how easy it is to access credit, the interest aspect. That's another one as well, isn't it? That's an overarching problem that yeah. is. Yeah, which is why this is which is why I said you got to raise the interest rates to to yeah. stave off stave off that demand for for investment. But okay, but in terms, in terms of the interest rate, um, obviously yeah. they keep the interest rates low because inflation is low. Obviously, um, for those who don't know. Inflation is basically the general price level in the economy. Uh, currently, um, the general price, um, the price level is quite low. So when the general price level is quite low, um, the, sometimes the government or the Bank of England wants to kind of increase that to, what's the, what's the target? Was it two, is it, it's 2.0 really, isn't it? Yeah, 2%. So yeah. You, want a hate, you want a healthy dose of inflation to keep the economy in, in a good state. So when it's a bit low, demand is a bit low, People aren't purchasing as much as they want. So you ain't got consumption. Um, you ain't got money circulating around the economy as much mm. as as you would like. So I think the problem is right now is that there isn't many inflationary pressures. So they want to keep interest low. So obviously, if the interest rate, let's say the interest rate is twenty percent, what mm. does that do? It it deters everyone from saving. Um, it deters everyone from spending because like okay, if I put a hundred quid in the bank in, in a savings account, I can make twenty quid on top. So mm-hmm. the more money you save, obviously the less money you spend. So what they try to do is try to flip that, and so you can not only spend more but invest more, which tend to cause long-term more spending. So That's it. How, do you, how do you think we get the balance between trying to get some inflation in the economy, but also increase the interest rate enough to kind of like slow down uh, banks and other institutions just propping up asset markets? Hello. Right, go, go ahead, I, I, sorry, mate. I don't want to go too deep into it, but Japan has been keeping interest rates um, for basically at zero, and now they're actually negative for the last yeah. fifteen, well, last twenty-ish years. And yeah, their economy is really finished now, isn't it? They, in the oh, sense yeah. of, in regards to the amount of debt they have, isn't it? They've just been in pretty much a load of deflation, where prices are just constantly going down. So really, that policy doesn't actually work. Long term, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, because they get stuck in. They get stuck in something called a liquidity trap, which you know, don't worry about it. But <laughs> it, it basically doesn't doesn't let you escape the issue of low inflation, um, and which is why I think that the economy always balances out no matter what you do. If, yeah. I mean, as long as you're not at, at an extreme, so you don't raise it by like ten percent or something, yeah. or whatever. 
Um, I think they're, they're just too scared uh, at, at kind of deviating from their policies at this stage. Yeah. I, okay, yeah. cool. Okay, so we've talked about housing, I mean, owning versus rent. We've talked about the cause. So, okay, let's do a bit of forecasting. When, okay, in terms of the housing market crash, there's so many people who've like thrown estimate, est, um, estimations into, into, the, into the mix. When do you see us, either, um, both of you lads, when do you see the property market going bust again? Well, gone, Dave. I see it um, whenever we start seeing real trouble with China, um, mm. because China is currently in a massive credit bubble, um, and if they stave off their investment, then it means that they're going to get all their money out of their bank accounts, which are houses in London, um, yep. which you know will lead to loads of empty houses, as we said but also it will have a knock-on effect into the US and to loads of other places. And obviously then that, that will affect the banks. And well, that's what is, what is so crazy about everything is how interconnected everything is. Yeah. So, I mean, from 2008, obviously a lot of those, um, a lot of, um, basically a lot of what happened there was also related to China. China had to buy up some of some of, some of the, the, the bonds in a sense. Um, and so that's why we're having... Why China's going through some sort of a boom in a way of trying to prop up the rest of the world and it's in some parts of the world that needs to be propped up. They've taken up some of the mantle that the US was doing for the best part of of, of 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Um, and now we're having this thing where they're going through a, a boom of themselves. So whatever happens in terms of where the cards fall, starts to fall down, starts to fall down, it will have to be come out from um, an external um, factor, isn't it? An external aspect. And that's how a lot of these things work. When we had the Eurozone crisis and we also had our own housing crisis here in a sense in, uh, in 2008, nine, it was also related to what happened in 2007 in the US, 2007, 2008. So we're going to have to try and <laughs> open up our horizons and not just look at what's happening in the UK, happen, look at what's happening in the rest of the world as well. Um, no, most definitely. And um, cheeky bit of Brexit. Um, so how do you see <laughs> How do you see um, Brexit affecting the housing market and in turn um, one of the biggest fears of everyday people? Look, um, I, I obviously trade. Well, I don't, it's not obvious, but I trade. Uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I do. Um, and basically, I, I tend to have the opinion of there's no point in predicting anything because no one knows in the market. Okay, mm -hmm. this, is, this is why when the Treasury Select Committee were coming out with these reports before the referendum um, about how the economy was going to tank after Brexit and all of this, I took it with a massive pinch of salt because firstly they don't know, um, secondly when have economists ever been right and um, thirdly um, the economy stabilises anyway, it always does, you know you've never been in a permanent recession, um, mm. it might happen for one year maybe less if you're in just a technical recession but you know even 2008 the worst recession ever it lasted for um a year technically yeah obviously the effects are felt for longer but yeah um, I, 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 th I think that's the issue though and the actual long-term effects because we're uh, we're only really just coming out of the effects now and maybe for the uk not really because our wages are still yeah. our wages yeah. are still um abysmal but in terms of like um, if we look at Brexit, 
Um, mm. Obviously, we're leaving the European Union. Um, I personally want us to stay because I just didn't trust our own um, leaders to, you know, um, push us in the right direction in terms of economic policy, even though I, I thought the ECB was just the biggest mess that like you can't have a um, United monetary policy, but... Well, every has me, fiscal policies. Let, no, go on, go on. Yeah, sorry, just to interject with regards to Brexit. I, what I don't understand is that we had control of our own monetary policy. So why did we want to think about moving out in the first place? So in well, regards to that, we weren't really going to be affected too much by what was happening in Europe anyway, because we have control over our own monetary policy. Whereas mm. a country like Italy doesn't have control over their own monetary policy. Which I, I do think that is so stupid. Like. How could um, how could you do what everyone to do fiscally, which is um, what I said before, like how you affect your how your government balances its expenditure yeah. and and um, what's it called and taxation. So each country can do that, but the, um, the ECB slash the Europe, um, European Central Bank they decide on the monetary policy. So that's basically what they yeah. was referred to earlier, basically um, buying up bonds, which is quote unquote printing cash. So I find that all a bit weird, but. Um, David, coming back to you, um, how do you feel? Um, like, obviously, we can never know. If we knew, then we'll all be billionaires. But um, mm. <laughs> how, how do you see things pan out, with, especially with a conservative government? Like, what's going to take, what, two years, two to three years for um, Article 50 to get all sorted out? Um, go on. Yeah, go on. It's, it's obviously a difficult one to say, and people have been arguing this for the last however long we've been in in discussions about even having a referendum. Um, uh. I think it's one of those things where um, you can only hope that the government is doing everything in our best interest. Um, Which is impossible. It's impossible. With, with, global, with, globalization, with globalization, which I'm sure us three want to come back to talk about that which will probably scare all the listeners, so we need to find a quite nice <laughs> to tell them that was true. Um, with globalisation, it's almost impossible for me to believe that any government anywhere is doing things in the best interest of its constituents. You um, think so? You think so? Yeah, because um, there's, there's, there's just too many players involved. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah but at the same time, you've got to think of it as um, we've got free trade with um, the EU. Okay, yeah. I'm talking purely about trade here. I didn't, I didn't make my vote, um, which you can probably tell how I voted. But I didn't make my vote based on trade, immigration, anything like that. It's purely based on the eurozone. But let's talk about the free trade element of it, yes. because if you've got free trade with one trading block, there's other countries that are also losing out. There's other yeah. countries that also want to do trade with you. Yeah. They still do. Tra- they still do trade with you. Um, but they don't have the same um, discrepancy on tariffs, etc., as mm. what the, the free trade blocks would have. The same things on immigration, the same things on visa control, the same things on education. Even. So <clears throat> you can take the example of um, Modi in India, wanting uh, Indian students to come for easier access into UK universities. Now, they can get into UK universities, but it's nowhere near the same as... The, the EU would have. Do you see mm. what I mean? Um, so t- there's always going to be a trade-off where someone is winning and someone is losing. Is losing out. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what do you think about um, the prominence of more Commonwealth countries now? The ties between the UK and how and, and its former 
um, uh, colony countries, is the Commonwealth. Do you think that the UK now, it looks like the UK is definitely going to open up its interests and open up its ties, in a sense, to try and open up more trade with its, its um, um, like, for example, I saw an article by, um, I don't know the name of this MP, um, she's in the part of the Conservative Party, but she said that they want to open up, obviously open up ties now with more of the, the countries uh, who are part of the Commonwealth, in a sense. Um, that, in some ways, could also have an effect also on the, on the housing market again, because if they open up more ties with the, a lot of these countries, again, much more, and open up their own interests, there's definitely going to be some trade-off on that aspect. There's going to be something, you know, that's going to come out of that. Mm. So what do you think about that as, that dynamic as well? I mean... I mean, if you if you look again at um, what I said about um, foreign investors, the foreign investors aren't specifically coming from the EU. They're coming from the Far East. They're coming yep. from yeah. India. They're coming from Russia. Okay. So when people are saying, "Oh yeah, the housing housing market's going to tank," not okay, really. We might we might have some some German pension funds. We might have some French pension funds. But the big yeah. money is from the, the Middle Eastern states, from China, from Russia, from India. From it's all going to see more Nigerians that aren't involved in the EU. It's more Nigerians coming to 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 Islington, you know. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, even there where I live, um, Beaufort Park in Collindale, they call it they call it Little Nigeria. They just come and just bought all these flats, yeah. outright brand new. But um, yeah, go on, carry on, Dave. It's all the like Nigerian oil money, mate. Yeah, getting out. Yeah, they're yeah, talking about Arsenal even. <laughs> they're, get, they're getting out of the recession and coming over here. Yeah. Absolutely great, putting money into the economy, good, um, but not so good for the housing for people that want to buy. I guess. Yeah. So yeah, okay, cool. Okay, so what advice should we give the listeners in terms of the housing market? So this is this was more of like an economist view in the housing market. Um, so we kind of spoke about it in more of a macro view. So. Okay. Obviously, Dave, I'm gonna link. I'm gonna link. To, I'm gonna put a link to what you've written about the housing market. I, I always wait here. Yeah. Hey, well, who the hell was? Are you sawing something, Clinton? That's not me, man. Oh, Dave. Or is it me? Sorry, it might be me. I don't know. Oh, it sounds like you're um, cutting somebody's hand off. <laughs> okay. You never touch these dodgy traders, man. Well, okay, go on. Trust me, man. So, what I would actually say is, firstly, if you look at anyone that's invested in any 20-year period of the S&P, which is one of the US stock markets, no one's ever lost money, okay? If you took that down payment that you've got in your house, um, that 50, 60 grand, and put it into um, an exchange-traded fund um, that followed and tracked the S&P 500 in the, in the US, you wouldn't lose mm. money. You'd make money um, over a 20-year period, that is. Now, that 20-year period is the same length of time as your mortgage, okay? If you track from 2000, uh, January 2017, back 20 years to 1997, okay, and if you um, reinvested your dividends, which is the money that is paid each quarter from any equities investments, um, which are stocks in the S&P 500, you'd have made 245%. Okay. Um, now. That's just off of your your base value. So if you've got five, uh, five, 50 grand, sorry, and you do it over 20 years, you've made 150 grand. That's straight cash. Now, if you're renting over that time, you're not paying any interest. 
you're not your you know your investment in the S&P is beating inflation mm. but your mortgage isn't mm. okay so over that 20 years you can see which is the better return on your investment okay um, but again it depends on what, what you want initial, what you want initial aims are if you want security um, and a place to live for 30 40 years whatever go for a mortgage if you're looking at it as an investment which people definitely shouldn't look at the housing market as an investment unless you're buying with straight cash then you know go go um go the the, the investment route and see what about what about um quickly before we before we um call this on a day what about sure. those who buy with pure credit so you know those people who um what, interest who, only mortgages no 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 not even just that know those people who go for like cheaper properties like in sort of on that area so the property is probably cheaper than its market value. They um they redevelop it. Um, the cost they used to redevelop it is on credit cards. Um, they borrow money from let's say angel investors to, for the deposit, and they mm. flip it that way. What do you think about that? Is that um a better route of investment than just a straight mortgage? Or it totally depends on what your your interest is and what um if you were to add up your return that you got to give to the angel investors mm. and your return. Uh, well, the, the interest that you got to pay on your credit cards, if that doesn't beat the rate of return that you get by selling that house or letting it each month for a specific length of time, then there's no point. It's just yeah. wasted, wasted time. You know? So it's always about minimi- minimizing your, um, your, your cost interest and maximizing your yield. Yeah, I'm, I'm, to- I'm totally with you here. Um, I feel like it's crazy because... Um, in the matrix that we call life, it's like we're taught that um, home ownership is key. Home ownership is the best. Yep. Um, I'm pretty sure most of our most people's parents or friends or uh, or they have friends or family that have owned homes. Like I was kind of taught to you as the gold standard. Yeah, and literally yeah no, up, so was I. Yeah, literally yeah, up until yeah. like last year, the more I thought about it, I was like. It's a dream, so isn't it? It's a dream, so that's why I'm not even. I'm renting right now. I'm not. And this, rush, I'm, I'm and, not and, about it. and this is why I always go back to the banks, even though it's not their. It's not. It's their part of the game. The game is the game. But you go back to it, is that it seems like a lot of the Anglo-Saxon countries is again, they have that culture where you owning your own home is the dream. It's the be on mm. end. It's the American dream. That's why the uh, the likes of Thatcher was also pushing. That um, aspect in the the seventies and eighties, even more recently, even more recently, sorry to cut you off. No, that's fine. The but just before the what's it called the um, the housing crash two thousand eight, the American government actually had a fight with the banks. The, the American government told the banks basically, I'm um, I'm going to do the shorthand version of it. Um, you need to deregulate your mortgage approval process. The banks were saying that's insane. If you deregulate it, that means we'll give the loans to more riskier people, which is Christmas yeah. or default. The banks like no, it's an Ameri- like it should be an American America should be able to own homes. Um, we should discriminate, which obviously doesn't make sense because I, I, discriminate can I, it's cash. But, so, can, I, can I can I just say something about that? Go on. So this housing crisis wasn't a subprime crisis. Um, it keep, everyone keeps saying it was a subprime mortgage crisis where loans were given to people that. Um, that, that couldn't afford the payments, it wasn't. If you've got a 5% group of people who aren't going to pay, but then that only increases to, say, 12%, but they mm. obviously have lower mortgages, yeah. okay? 
that's not going to have as big an effect as the middle classes who may default on zero percent. Yeah. Then that increases to five percent. Yeah. Their mortgage, their mortgage rate, and their uh, average mortgage is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars compared yeah. to two hundred thousand dollars or yeah. primes. So if that's increasing by that much, you're going to have a much bigger default um, amount on that amount than you would on the subprimes. And if that group of people who refinance their homes to put, to build swimming pools, to build lofts, to build basements, that I, I was I was hearing more. I was hearing of stories of of sixteen year olds taking out loans with no no history of of, of credits of any credit building or or. or Credit scores or low, completely like five. Was it five twenty? Was what is the what, what was Speaker. what is what was the what is the is it six forty that you have to jump onto? That's when you're allowed to take out a mortgage, right? Six forty is the credit score or something along. Yeah, and in, in the US, is they've got a reading up to nine hundred. I think here is seven seven fifty. But at um, that time, at that time, it was five twenty. So you could have a yes. credit score of five hundred and twenty and get onto the property like there was sixteen year olds. Given yeah. loans, yeah, but um, what, what I'll say, um, um, David, um, in terms of the subprime, I think subprime definitely had a, um, a, a key impact is because, yeah, the in terms of the actual default value was a, mm. was a lot lower than the middle classes. But I think it was just the, the sheer volume of them, and that also enabled because they there were more subprime mortgages, it enabled banks to get involved with the credit default swaps, which are just flipping, 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 flipping like crazy. That's why in America, you got like a just a plethora of just abandoned houses is is actually insane. Is that yeah. insane? I think that's a I think that's a good way to end this pod because we started on abandoned houses and, and finished on them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, lads, thank you very much. Like you lot came with the knowledge. No I'm sure the listeners will be like, rah, like what are these men talking about? <laughs> so for any questions, literally hit any of these lads up like Especially, he's proper big on the political stuff. He's always tweeting me some doom and gloom stuff every day, which is quite sad. <laughs> I need to stop, man. I need yeah, to stop. Robert's going to come and take my accountancy job. And um, <laughs> Dave is always calling people c words and stuff on Twitter as well. So yeah, um, deserve it. <laughs> yeah, they, 99% of time, yeah, they do. <laughs> so, um, lads, um, shout your socials and your blogs if anything. So, Kalechi, what's your? How, where can people find you? Yeah, my my Twitter handle is at Kalechi. Um, Aneku, um, and I have also a blog that's basically based around politics and some economics as well. And no, it's the I home. Know, well, I know his um, Ibo name is a bit hard to. Uh, uh, chill, man. Chill, man. You know, Ibo names. You know, Ibo names sound like. Hey, 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 hey! I'm, here, I'm, I'm witnessing. Any, anyway, anyway, my <laughs> my blog, my blog um, 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 website is Hermes Prophecies. Um, WordPress. If you just go to my website, um, my page, sorry, you is the link is there. So yeah, that is it, really. That is it. And yeah, Dave, I know you have a million, so you can let us know. <laughs> no, do you know what? I've um, deleted my blog, so I'm not, I'm, I'm starting um, a, a new a new site and a new business. So I'm deleting nice. that, so there's everything's just fresh and, and new. But um, my Twitter handle is Dbell uh, with an e on the end. 1992. So you can get me on there. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, anyway, I'll put you lots, um, um, social, socials in the socials. I'm speaking German. Yeah, I'll put you lots, um, my friend has to speak like Schweinsteiger. Yeah, no. Like we've done this you know. <laughs> yeah. I'll put your, um, socials in the, in the, what's it called, description. But yeah, lads, thank you very All much. Right, for, oh, perfect. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks.
Sports Social Podcast Network.